Hello, welcome to episode 182 of Herpetological Highlights. My name is Tom Major, co-hosting with me, as ever, it's Ben Marshall. And hey. yeah, in our 182nd episode, we're going to be talking about sea crates. We might talk a little bit about sea snakes as well, but we're talking about snakes that live in the sea for the vast majority of their lives. And they've been doing some interesting things, which uh, maybe people wouldn't expect of snakes. I think increasingly we're expecting of snakes. We're talking about social behavior, talking about snakes teaming up. So um, I'll just quickly introduce the paper and we can get stuck in. This is by Somawira Udiawer, Amara Singh, Fresnes Catherall, Mulkanova, 2023, Apparent Coordinated and Communal Hunting Behaviours by Erebu Secrete, Latacorda Semifasciata, published in Scientific Reports. So a little caveat in the title there, Apparent Behaviour. Yeah, you can't read their minds. You can't read their minds. Can't tell what's going on There's a little bit of secret minds. Possible bit of ambiguity in the way they're behaving, but still worth writing about, I would argue. We're talking about snakes teaming up. Uh, lots of obviously mammals team up. You and I, Ben, we teamed up this morning to make this podcast. We're, you know, That's it's true. Not, not such a big deal. For Coordinated them. communication. Yeah, not such a big deal for primates. We're pretty accustomed to it. Other primates do it too. Canines will do it. You know, wolves will be teaming up to hunt for things. Hyenas, uh, felines, you know, your big cats, lions, they like teaming up. And cetaceans, obviously, whales and dolphins, they'll team up. They're clever too. They don't mention it in the paper, but I'm pretty sure sharks will also team up with like hunting in packs. You definitely see things that look like mm-hmm. that on, yeah. on that geo. And there was one single observational study of terrestrial snakes, so snakes that live on the land, teaming up apparently when the Cuban boas were sort of taking the position of other boas into account when they yes. were sitting in the caves. They seemed to yes. be creating sort of walls of snakes for the bats to have more difficulty passing by that one was kind of we did cover on the podcast previously didn't we we did cover it previously yeah um and that was kind of like i don't know i think everyone a lot of people were sort of skeptical about that one because people still like to think of reptiles as like mindless drones like singularities that don't really collaborate or communicate in any way yeah, there's a difference between like active coordination and just picking the best spot in relation to other animals that are also going after the same resource, right? That's where this sort of ambiguity comes into. Because I highlight another example, I think, in the discussion about the old Galapagos races, that wonderful footage that the BBC got with the snakes chasing down the little iguanas. And yep. that's hard to argue that that's coordinated because it's all of them just rushing an iguana not really teaming up and coordinating something where others will not prioritize prey capture for the sake of, I don't know, distraction, delay, or or something like that. So it's, that can make it tricky. It's the difference between everyone going for the same resource and everyone going for the same resource, but some of them are planning it out or, yeah. or taking a different role. Yeah, they had a bunch of examples of snakes where snakes end up en masse in one place doing the same thing, right. but seemingly not teaming up. Like there was some sort of mud flat snakes that all come to low tide to eat crustaceans there was the scrub pythons all hanging around at the bottom of like communal bird nesting areas to eat the chicks and it's like yeah yeah they're all there but they're not really like you say they're not necessarily teaming up they're all just like had the same idea you could see them more as more as competitors really eventually yeah but this paper they think they've got evidence of some teamwork by snakes and so yeah this paper described the 
supposed communal hunting behavior of a marine snake, the Erebu sea crate, otherwise known as the Chinese sea crate, which is Latacorda semifasciata. And this was taking place in southern Lombok, Indonesia. So nice warm water, nice to go diving. And it was while diving that they saw these sea crates doing their behaviors. And this Erebu sea crate is an amphibious sea crate, so it's not a true sea snake, it doesn't spend its whole life at sea, it's one of the ones which is coming back to land, but this species actually is way more aquatic than most sea crates. Most sea crates shed on land, but apparently I think these shed at sea, so most sea crates will sort of come to the land and shed their skin and lay their eggs, and they a lot of them also come to coastal sort of areas at night, like they'll sit in caves or they'll just sort of like hang around on the rocks on beaches at night because they're mostly diurnal and yeah. you, know, you see videos of people finding these caves where the sea snakes spend the day and they just kind of like they're all just there kind of flopping about and sea snakes and sea crates are generally pretty docile anyway not that you should be going around picking them up so some quite funny videos of all these like snakes just kind of flopping about in the caves um which would be really really cool to see but these erebu sea crates they like eating fish and they hunt them on reefs and yeah, this is a paper where they were kind of reporting that these snakes appear to be hunting in packs. They shared some pictures of sea snakes swimming about, which, you know, if you only saw the pictures in this paper and you had your detective hat on, you'd be like, are these snakes hunting in packs or are these just pictures of a few snakes in the same place at the same time? It's not that clear, really. Like, there's one picture, I think, where there's kind of four snakes that look like they're going in the same direction. That's the most yes. compelling one. The others are just like here's some sea snakes sort of milling about nearby to each other. But this isn't actually the first time that these snakes have been suggested to spend time hunting in packs. There was actually a video ages ago by BBC. The BBC filmed these very species and they put it on a Planet Earth documentary in 2009. And that footage, if you watch that, is like pretty crazy. I mean, there's like so many snakes. They're like balling up. They all seem to be sort of inquisitively exploring these rocks as a big team. And um, the idea is that all of these snakes, because they like to hunt small fish in reefs. So once the fish take cover in the reefs, the snakes go in and get into all the nooks and crannies. And the idea is that one snake is followed by other snakes and they're kind of looking for fish that escape the reef because the snake's looking for them. Although they actually didn't witness that in this video. But like I say, if you watch the BBC one... That's, that's the assumption, though, isn't it? That they're being flushed out of these crevices by a sort of one snake and the others are ready to scoop up anything that actually does make a break. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And like I say, that video from BBC in 2009, like, I must have seen it, but I'd completely forgotten it. But on that one, it's like a swarm of sea snakes come down. They're, like, all moving together and they're all going the same way. And there's, like, loads. There's, like, 20 of them. So that, to me, is actually a lot more compelling evidence than is presented here. Although, obviously, you know, they're taught, there's a lot of written stuff here that they've seen. And, you know, you've got to take their word for it. They're scientists. They're not, they're not fibbing. It's just that they haven't quite got the video evidence to back it up. Well, they have quite... A, I mean, they meant to have 12 instances where it's filmed. Where are these films, though? I don't know. I couldn't see them. No, I couldn't see them either. I couldn't <laughs> find them. Yeah. But um, there is footage somewhere. <laughs> Yeah. Of these ones. Okay, cool. <laughs> I guess I'll just take your word for it. But anyway, we don't need it because BBC did it like 15 years ago. So uh, yeah, it is cool. And the, it does appear to be snakes hunting in packs. The other thing that they'll do is um, group hunting seemingly with big fish. So, um, you know, fish like uh, trevally, these 
big large reef fish they seem to sort of um team up with these fish uh, and in the bbc footage you can see that there's like all these massive fish hanging around the sea snakes and the big fish seem to work to scare the small fish into the reef and then the sea snakes can kind of wiggle around in the crevices and they can eat fish that are stuck in there that they find but also they'll scare fish out and there's videos of those little fish who are being scared out by the snakes then being eaten by the larger fish which are kind of lurking around the edge and there Trapped was between a, between a snake and a fish yeah exactly no longer a rock and hard place it's yeah and crate and travail yeah and this isn't the first time that a sea dwelling snake has been suggested to spend time in packs so way back in 2005 there was actually a paper suggesting sociality in turtle headed sea snakes do you remember that one that it was Rick Shine, Professor Rick Shine, and his whole family on holiday did the study on the sea That's snakes. That's what it seemed like, yeah. Yeah, because it was like shine, shine, <laughs> yeah. shine, 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 and shine. Um, um, and they basically yeah, yeah, just yeah. went, on their holidays, they went snorkeling. They noticed that they were catching the same snakes at the same time, even separated by a lot of time, not necessarily space. Yeah. But they kept seeing from hunting in packs. And I mean, their evidence wasn't like amazing, but it was a kind of suggestion. And it's taken this long for someone to actually sort of come through. Right. I think it's a sort of repeated instant, you know, it happening once. All right. Sure. But it's the repeatedness of this that starts getting interesting because this paper, too, it's what do they have 52 separate occasions that they saw snakes. How many instances did they have to sort of at least 12 different instances of this sort of communal stuff going on? Right. Yeah, yeah. There's quite a few. There's quite a few instances. But seeing it again and again and again, to and enough to be able to sort of generate this ethogram which they have, which is the main point of the paper, is this actual breakdown of the behaviours they've observed, which really opens the door for future more systematic observations of crate behaviour. That's true. Yeah, you're um, right. So they've kind of like that's named, really the point of this. Yeah, they've kind of like named and designated all the species. Uh, yeah. All the species, all the behaviours, you know, like, I mean, it's pretty straightforward stuff, you know, like you've got travelling, which is where they're just swimming and they're sort of horizontal. And then when they're searching, which is like sort of looking for fish, apparently, they tilt their heads down, so tail in the air and then their tongue flicking a lot more, you know, and they'll follow each other. They'll follow fish. They'll investigate crevices. And then apparently <laughs> I like the fact that you can tell when they catch something because their tail starts wiggling. Perfect. Yeah. That's very handy of them. So in case that head is yeah. hidden in amongst the reef, you can tell. Yeah. But yeah, they call it group hunting with the big fish, where the big fish scare the small fish and then the snakes can find them. Classic one-two punch. Apparently, uh, the same fish will also do this with moray eels. So moray eels have been recorded doing coordinated hunting with coral groupers. So fish will team up with any kind of pipe. They don't mind if it's slippery or dry. They'll just get in there <laughs> and eat those fish, which is cool. Like, I wonder if the fish are differentiating. They're different fish, but yeah. Eels will team up with other fish and snakes will apparently team up with large fish to hunt fish. So, uh, yeah, it's just a dangerous place to be a small fish. And I mean, some of these sea snakes in these videos, they just look so fat. They look like they have the easiest lives ever. They just look like somebody's overweight pet sea snake just like blobbing around on the reef. <laughs> you know, there's like so many of them swarming around. It must be hectic to be a little fish on these uh, on, on these, these reefs. reefs. Yeah, it must be terrifying. Yeah. But, you, you think know, you escape one giant fish that's about to eat you. Next thing you know, you've got a moray eel or a sea crate knocking on your door. You try and bail out of that and you get got by another fish that's waiting outside to eat you. Yeah, I'm just really looking forward to when we really get to grips with 
are these packs of snakes, which, you know, there's pretty good evidence for now, they're hunting in like groups, are they all randomly associating or do they have like pack mates? I reckon squads. they have squads, right? Yeah. They must have squads. Got it. Got it. So uh, I really look forward to more stuff about this, to be honest, where you've got like. How on earth would you work that out, though? Well, yeah, I mean, you'd have to do like. That would have to be experimental, wouldn't it? You'd have to have some sort of active manipulation. Yeah, I mean, unless you had some, you could do like tagging them and then just do some social networking stuff, see where they're who they're associating with. That's true. That's true. With repeated dives, see if they're teaming up with the same. Yeah. Same. You'd have to tag a bunch of snakes. You would, yeah, yeah. Or you could just And like. they're all underwater, and it's hard to breathe under there. Yeah, but apparently they are easy to catch because they're quite slow. That's a plus. They're super venomous, but they they don't really realise it. They won't really bite you that much. Sea snakes. But Caveat: you, you'd Don't have test to, it out. You'd have to implant. Yeah. trackers though because you couldn't have them external it's yeah like the worst worst animal to track with an external tracker aquatic so it's going to mess with the hydrodynamics of them they're going in crevices so it's going to get caught on stuff yeah and they've probably got it's wet so things don't stick very well which <laughs> have to be implants yeah you could do acoustic receivers though so you could just have like stations underwater and if it's a small reef that all these snakes inhabit you could just get If they're like using the same areas, yeah. yeah you That could get might like be the way to do it. 10 stations bada bing bada boom which Yeah. one they're triangulating the snake signal for you you just build the Yeah. all right let's get on it And if you only care about association as opposed to the relative movements, you can be a lot more coarse about where you're detecting them. hmm yeah really cool so i think I don't know about you, but I think this is compelling evidence that they're sort of moving together. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it'd be fair to say They do move in herds. I just... they do move in herds. <laughs> Shoals, please. Shoals, gangs, squads, either way. Schools, squads. Yeah. Erebu sea snake is moving in herds, moving in squads. And um, yeah. Reptile cognition, it's just so hot right now. I'm loving all these papers coming out that we can read and give reptiles credit for being social, organised creatures. Have you got anything else about these uh, Erebu sea crates? No, no, not really. I'm just looking forward to the sort of next study along that's a bit more systematic, right? Because we've had these two sort of semi-opportunistic papers and uh, the next one, probably some, you know, PhD students being sent down into the water every single day to look at the same snakes day in, day out will probably uh, really show off that they're uh, doing it systematically and these, you know, get to know the snakes, individually ID them, know the leader of the squads, Have I think that. they should make the PhD student go down in one of those old timey metal diving things. Well, they could like they could stay down there for longer, then, right? Yeah, exactly. Because if you've got the the line to the, you know, not worrying about tanks, Yeah. you can't step on this reef. You'd crush all the delicate fish homes. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Right. So we're going here from one, a species of snake showing some evidence of cognition working in a pack to a new species of lizard from a group which is known to be social. We've got a new alligator lizard here. So this one is by Klaus Luna Reyes, Mendoza Velazquez, Nieto Montes, Dioca and Solano Zavaleta. Published in 2024, brand new, bridging the gap. a new species of arboreal abronia from the northern highlands of Chiapas, Mexico, published in PLOS One. So yeah, we're in southeast Mexico. We've got a new alligator lizard. This is a lizard 
not an alligator. For anyone wondering, one of the one of the most lizardy looking lizards. Yeah, looking lizard, but named after a different predator that they bear a superficial resemblance to, like so many reptiles. We'll just call them a bronia, and a we'll forget the whole alligator okay, business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, they do bear a slight resemblance to alligators because they have the big, large scales on the back. Oh, I see. On the back, yes. Not in the head. Okay. But yeah, the, the head looks completely different to an alligator. But the back scales are very large, and you can kind of see that somebody thought maybe they looked a bit like scutes. It's an unimaginative thing to have called them, but that's how we used to do things. And according to the authors, this is a the 42nd species of Abronia to be described. There's been a bit of a flurry in recent years. Obviously, they're really popular in the reptile trade, this species. This paper already has 14,000 views, which is crazy for a plus one paper. So it's obviously been big news that this thing's come out. And yeah, we're in Mexico, in uh, Chiapas, in the Northern Highlands here. The wooded forests in this part of Mexico are similar to Sky Islands. They're these kind of areas of higher altitude forest. They're up in the clouds and it's wetter because it's in the clouds, surrounded by these sort of drier lowland areas. But because of the rain and the moisture, they end up being hubs for biodiversity and the sort of surrounding lowlands are less biodiverse. And yeah, they've found this new species of Abronia. Should we talk about what it looks like first? Yeah. I mean, it's quite classically Abronia. Right, so you've got this broad head that's as wide as the body, very tube-shaped lizard, pointy face, uh, sort of a light chocolatey brown for most of the body with um, sort of square splotches going down the sides that are quite gentle, quite faded, I would say. Head is paler, sort of paler yellowy tan with those sort of splotches giving it what appears to be sort of large comedic looking eyebrows. Yeah, they're quite chunky ones as well, aren't they? Their tails are quite fat. Yeah. yeah. One of the ones in the paper has lost its tail, so that one's got an even stubbier tail. But yeah, they kind of always look to me, Abronia, like somebody took a shingleback skink and just stretched it out. Yes. <laughs> and made it arboreal. And obviously they're cool because a lot of them live in bromeliads, you know, these epiphytic plants that grow on other plants. And these appear to be no exception. They live in Bromeliads. Yes, got some beautiful pictures of the uh, habitat in this paper with the uh, epiphytes. Mm, yeah, it really is cool. These like, I was quite surprised because they live in oak pine forests. I don't know whether the pine is natural there. Maybe. But it looks like a sort of tale of two halves, really, because you've got the kind of oak woodland or the natural woodland, which looks quite dense. And then you've got these... Um, sort of like pasture type areas where I think people have livestock, but they also leave the trees. And so you have like, there's not much ground story, but there are these big pine trees. And in the pine trees, there are bromeliads, these cool red ones hanging off the trees and the branches. And that seems to be where these things live, which is really neat. No, the pine is native. I just looked up the species oh, cool. of pine, it is native. Great. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably just biased because of all the pines and stuff we have here, which are like 100% not. But yeah, it's not recorded from any protected areas, this species. However, it does seem to be quite tolerant of pasture and stuff. So at least, you know, a little bit of disturbance they can take. The name of it's cool. They gave it a good name. They've called it Abronia canemica. And this species name is derived from the word cunemo, which is the name for Kerpia in the indigenous Zoke language. Kerpia is derived from two Nahatl words, Quetzal and Apan, which means snake and river. So essentially, Coapilla means river of the snakes. 
well, Kanemo is kind of translated as water among the trees. It could also be place of the new or great capital or crown of hills. So, you know, it kind of means a different, few different things, but it's cool. <laughs> and uh, this name, which is derived from the local language, kind of refers both to the sort of behavior and the place which support the population of this species. And they asked some local people what they thought about this name and they were given it two thumbs up. Oh, okay. So you pronounce it Kunyemiku. Kunyemiku. You weren't far off. You weren't far off. I was way off. I said Kunemiku. It's Kunyemiku. If every single pe person who publishes a paper could write this out for us phonetically, that'd be amazing because we butcher like... Because then you'd ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that way I can do what I want to do. I decide. Um, no, you know, I'd like to try and... I mean, I hate butchering words. It's kind of... A, some extent it's inevitability but uh yeah it's nice to have it spelt out phonetically abronia kunyemiku and yeah they all kind of exist in these well the ones that they know about exist in a small wooded tableland it's like a flat pine oak forest on top of a big hill none of them are in protected areas which is you know not ideal they're getting logged but there is some sustainable forest management which gives the authors hope but they suggest this species should be classed as endangered which, uh, you know, not, it tracks. not, yeah, not it ideal, tracks. but kind of makes sense. Um, but yeah, nice paper. Obviously, how yeah. are you pronouncing it? How am I pronouncing it? You know, make me do it again. Yeah, it was Kun Yem Kun Yemiku Kun Yeming. That's not Kun Yemika. Kun Yemika. It is Kun Yemika. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing with phonetically okay. spelt things. It's hard to say them. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well it doesn't help that the english language does have that issue of same letters being said in different ways hang on i there's no excuse for getting that wrong it's literally phonetically written kunyemika 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 okay abronia kunyemika okay. cool anyway so yeah brand new species <laughs> excited to have it water among the trees water among the trees anything which has got coatl is cool though yeah Anything else? Any other business this week? I do not have any other business this week. No. Okay. Well, I've got a question for you, which came up during a Christmas game of Trivial Pursuit, which is, you know, a month ago now. But nevertheless, I thought it would be funny to ask you it. My dad and my brother didn't get it. And I'll never, never let them forget it. So this is the question. Which species of fish is also a word which means to struggle or stagger clumsily in mud or water? Oh, oh. Well, I've been spoiled on this then because we were talking about stuff beforehand, but flounder, right? Did I already mention flounder to you today? Yes. Oh. That's what reminded you of this question. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, well. Maybe maybe it was fun for people who hadn't been talking to me earlier. So, yeah, I... <laughs> Apologies for ruining <laughs> No, it's okay. At least you're honest because like, you could have just taken the credit. Because I've swum, Absolutely not. swum around my bowl twice since that happened. All right, cool. So, yeah, I don't think we've got anything else to add, really. Just to say that... Uh, you can find us online. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. Herphighlights at gmail.com if you want to ask a question or just message us. Um, if you want to ask a question or if we got something wrong, you'd like to make a correction or if you've got some more examples of snakes hunting in packs, that'd be cool. Um, but yeah, we had crocodiles last week. Thanks this week. Yeah. Um, What's yeah. the next communal hunting group? Don't know. We'll, we'll, remains to be seen. Just to shout out the Patreons on patreon.com slash highlights. Thank you very much for the support. If you want to join, please join. And yeah, all that remains to be said is thank you for listening. Thanks for listening.